Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being not only our Lord and Master, but our Father as well. Thank you for inviting us to communicate with you after you first having chosen to communicate with us. Thank you for listening when we speak. Grant us your spirit today so that we listen to you when you speak. Amen. Jesus' name, dear friends. You know, I was uh, at, the, at the Brewer game this week, and of course, everybody, they, they always, you know, every athletic contest, there's always the, the national anthem, and it's sort of uh, an old tradition. Isn't it nice that there is one set of words to the national anthem? Isn't it kind of crazy that there are not common words for the Lord's Prayer? There should be. You think, for Pete's sake, there really should be. For the longest time, there was a general unanimity of words for the Lord's Prayer. I call it the, the fourth. It's like an extra one of the great poems or texts or sometimes songs of the divine service because it, it has a fixed wording. But yet it sort of doesn't. When Protestants visit Catholic friends at a mass, at a Catholic mass, say for a wedding or a funeral or whatever, you got to be a little careful that you don't embarrass yourself at the Lord's Prayer moment. You know why? Have any of you ever attended a mass? The Catholics stop right after the seventh petition and do not recite the doxology at the end, or at least it's not considered to be the part of the people's part of the prayer. And if you're not paying attention, you might blurt that out and you will be on Lord's Prayer Island. It will be just you. There are probably some very cogent reasons for that, but it's just one example of how we in Christendom do not share a common text. If you uh, look up the Lord's Prayer in the services in front of our hymnal, you'll see that there are two printed, the old one and the new one. And th that hymnal's been out since 1993. I continue to be amazed at how many congregations cling with a death grip to the old wording. I guess they just, that's a battle the pastors didn't want to fight is to get into arguments with the members who are really emotionally attached to our Father who art in heaven. In fact, I've, I've been at other uh, worship experiences and run into many other denominations at worship, and uh, that still is being used a lot. There are some congregations that are so into the modern version, they have different wordings for the modern setting from what we have in ours. Go crazy. In fact, this sort of dissimilarity, is that a word? I just made it up. <laughs> Goes way back to Jesus' time because Jesus himself had two different versions of the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that? And the one that Christians had been saying based on the King James Version of the Bible was not really exactly a biblical text. It was a liturgical text. It had been constructed by the, by the Episcopal Church and they did such a good job at it that everybody used it, except it's not really word for word what's in the Bible. In fact, there's two versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. In fact, we should really probably say the Lord's prayers because Jesus himself 
did not repeat himself word for word. And I, that brings up a little point I want to mention right out of the gate today. Just as a general principle of biblical interpretation, when you're reading the Gospels, how many are there of them? Four. Four different biographies of Jesus. There is quite a bit of overlap of stories, quite, a, quite not a bit of overlap. I love the, the, the part about the four Gospels where they each bring unique information. We are grateful for their additional information. I wish we had 12 Gospels so that there'd be even more information about the life of Christ. But when they tell the same story, there are often variations in the teachings of Jesus. And one, and I, I just want to help you not to panic when you read that, as though the Bible is such a flawed narrative and such an untrustworthy record of what Jesus really said that you can't ever really know what Jesus really said. That would be a tremendous disservice. What we need to realize is that Jesus, throughout his three years of teaching ministry, was teaching pretty much every day, either to groups of people or to his disciples, and that he would often come back to the same subject, sometimes years later. The version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew probably comes from year one in Jesus' ministry. It's placed right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which he spoke up in Galilee. And he had a vast audience to listen to him. Luke's account comes from the Perean ministry, which if you're a faithful Sunday morning attender, you've heard me say various times, the Perean ministry is the, basically the better part of the last six months of Jesus' three years. So it's the last half of year three. So years apart. Would Jesus not have seized the opportunity to give the same teaching but at different times and maybe have some little variations in it? Absolutely. People kind of tease me that some of the musicians who come here uh, to Sunday morning and go to the 8 o'clock and the 10.30 service give me a hard time after it and said, you changed it. Your 10.30 message was different from the 8 o'clock. Any of you ever experienced that little delightful part of St. Marcus' life? Well, it's true. Uh, and so I want to say, and your point is, if, if Jesus could do it, I can do it. And secondly, I do it partly out of love for the musicians, because if you need to go through this a second time, I owe it to you to give you some new material. But Jesus cheerfully did that, because his thing was not to lock everybody in to a fixed set of words, but to give people things to think about while they were praying. He wanted to give people the who and the what and the why of praying. To help you remember that, I'll ask you to say that again. The who, the what, and the why. Say those three words with me right now. Ah, you got it. If you can remember it past lunch, it will be a total success today. If you compare this year one Lord's Prayer and the year three Lord's Prayer, they don't exactly align. There's quite a bit in common, but it's not word for word. Even the Ten Commandments have a slightly different wordings in the Exodus account and in the Deuteronomy account. Do not let that freak you out because they're both true.
there's value in reading and learning from both. I'm going to take a little bit of a look at the Luke account today. If you'd like to grab your Bible, uh, open it up to Luke chapter 11. And this comes from the Perean ministry. And his primary audience was not a huge crowd, but his disciples. And they asked him a strange question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Well, for Pete's sake, they've been traveling with Jesus now for two and a half plus years. They were believers before they ever met Jesus. They prayed in the synagogue. What do you mean, teach us how to pray? They knew how to pray. I think what they meant by that request was, Jesus, you're, you get a lot more out of your prayer life than we do from ours. What's your secret? Why does prayer call you so strongly? Why do you seem to get so much out of it? Why are you so calm and serene when you're done? What's your secret to getting more out of your prayer life? And so Jesus gave them a reminder of his little summary to get their heads aligned on the who, the what, and the why of praying. And he said, when you pray, say this. Now, this doesn't mean this is a rule or a law. Jesus didn't give this as a mandate. It's like you must have this at every meeting of the congregation, or you must use this in every worship service, or your own devotional life personally or with your family at home must include these sacred words. No, that's not the point. His point is, these will help you get your bearings and know how to think when you are communicating with your God. And his words are based on the richness of imagery and ideas that the Bible was already full of. In fact, the poems of the Psalms and even a poem of David's in First Chronicles 29, probably the source of where that doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer really came from. People had been saying that for a long time. But he wanted to give the disciples a little structure to help them focus. It's the same value that, for instance, we have when you think, is, is it better to make up your own prayers or is it better to, to read the prayers of great and wise men and women? and read them out of devotion books? And the answer to that is yes, they both have value. So Jesus gave you a little structure or grid, not as a demand or a requirement, but as a gift to help guide the way you think about communicating with your God. And right out of the gate, let's talk about the who first. The very first word is such a big one. He says, Father. Matthew's version adds, the pronoun, our Father. So Jesus kind of intended the Lord's Prayer to be a communal thing. Even when you say it all by yourself, you're still thinking of the, the body of believers. You're thinking of other people. We have, we Christians, we believers, have a relationship with the Father. And Jesus picked this word on purpose. He didn't say, address, O Master, O sovereign, king, great king, almighty, lord of the universe, all which 
are valuable, insightful names for God, but he chose the tenderest of them all. You're reminding you, you're talking to your daddy. And you're not begging. Children who have needs of their father don't have to beg. They can just talk to their dad. I know that there's some risk in that. Jesus knew it too. Some of you have zero memories of your father because your father was absent in your life. So this is even a little painful. Some of you knew your dad but have some painful memories or at least very mixed memories. That's a risk as well, totally granted. Think of this in ideal terms. Some of you did have a really good dad. And regardless of your personal experience, think of an ideal father for that is what your Lord is to you. And you get to address a dad for the best of reasons. A, a good father acknowledges his offspring. Your God acknowledges you and claims you. Isn't that awesome to be claimed? Who wants to go through a life being unwanted and adrift? Your maker is proud of his work and loves to claim you. He thinks you're an awesome piece of his engineering and seeks a personal relationship with you so strongly that he sent his son. And now the son of God, who has a heavenly father, through his work, he lets you claim his daddy as your daddy so that the boss of the universe is family who claims you and welcomes you back through the forgiveness of sins purchased by the blood of Christ. Is that not cool or what? With this just one word, God reminds you that you have a right to interrupt him, that you don't ever have to worry that you're annoying or bothersome. Just like a, a daddy in a reasonably good mood is always glad to hear what's on his kids' minds always looking for ways to make their life better, to make them feel more secure, to make them um, more confident in life, that he's got their back and is there always as a resource for them. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, I, I think one, you know, we, we kill it because partly we use it so much we don't think about it enough, and you got to invest some mental energy in this or it's just going to become rote. And I know that because I have done it poorly way too often myself. And i got to keep refreshing my mental strength to go at this again. I'm going to out myself in embarrassment, but you probably could say the same thing. And that's the risk, of course, with something oft-repeated. But it's the great strength of something oft-repeated that it cuts deep grooves in your mind. And when you need it, this prayer is here. It's like part of your walking Bible. You don't have to read the Bible or read a hymnal to know this prayer. It's now engraved into your heart for life. And always remember, when I pray, I am talking to my daddy. Remember this also, the whole point of prayer is, and I'm going to say this really slow because it's one of my main um, learnings in life and I'm giving it to you today for free. God has stuff to give you, but he waits to be asked. And he won't give it to you till you ask. And I can never rid my brain of a pinata party that I was at once 
where a blindfolded kid had like a baseball bat and blindly went around in circles, swinging the bat until he connected with the pinata, broke it, and a shower of candy, coins, and gifts came spilling out to the great delight of the other kids at this party. The Mexicans really have an awesome custom. I hope you get to enjoy one sometime. But the point is, there will be no gifts until you swing the bat. And praying is like swinging the bat. God is waiting for you to swing that bat. And then expect a shower of blessings to come when you connect. Father, and now come seven little statements. Normally, when we pray, we think, I'm asking for stuff. We generally come to God when we need something. Isn't that true? That's always thing one. It's always our agenda. There's something, Lord, on our mind we want you to do for us. And Jesus gives you a gentle, indirect reminder. Whoa, 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 whoa. God's agenda first. Dial in to God's agenda first. God's agenda first. Of the seven, they're called petitions. The first three look like prayers, but they're boomerang prayers. Because you're basically asking for God's help in tuning up your heart and attitude first before God opens up the faucet to bring resources into your life. Here's three things you and I need help with, especially me. You and I both knew, but I especially need help with this. When you say, hallowed be your name, think what you're really saying. Hallowed means made holy. This is a boomerang prayer. You're really saying, here's what this really means, Lord, I know. I need to do a better job of making you look good in my life. I've got to reorient myself that it's a daily priority to make you look good. I'm proud of you, Lord. Not proud enough, but I'm so grateful you're proud of me and claim me. I want to be proud of you and claim you. Every parent of a teenager goes through one and maybe many times when the teenager is so embarrassed about being seen with the old folks, he or she will ditch them wanting to be nowhere near them. That's just part of the deal. If you have middle-aged, middle school-aged kids, just get ready for it. In fact, they may be shunning you already as middle schoolers, uh, but it's going to happen. And we need to grow out of that too, because sometimes we dial down our overtly Christian nature. We don't any, want anybody to know. We want to just be normal. This, this what of the Lord's Prayer says, Lord, I want to be proud of you and make you look good, make your name look good. And that, of course, means getting rid of the, the cursing and the swearing where God's name is used inappropriately. But it's more than just his proper names and titles. But Lord, in the way I live, I want to make you look good. The second of the what's also is attitude adjustment. Before God gets into the giving you stuff, we got to dial into God's agenda part two. So first of all, I want to make you look good. Secondly, your kingdom needs to grow. Now, uh, it's put in terms of almost like a passive imperative, which I'm sorry to be so 
such a grammar nerd on you today, but you'll notice it's a little bit intentionally indirect. And it's a quiet way for Jesus to say, you need to make the growth of my kingdom more important to your agenda. This is my agenda. I want to grow the people in which I rule in their hearts by faith. You need to care more about that. This is a mission prayer. But it's not a mission prayer like, Lord, you ought to do something about all the heathen in the world and all the unbelievers. It's, I need to be more engaged in outreach. And the, I don't, these thoughts might not have been in your head when you've prayed the Lord's Prayer, but it needs to be. And I might be part of the problem. Maybe I lead it too fast. Maybe we say it too fast that your brain can't work fast enough to keep up with us. But remember that every time you say this, you're saying, Lord, step two in your agenda is I need to care more about sharing the gospel. Another day we'll explore all the different ways to do that. Um, and uh, Matthew's gospel adds a third imperative. By the way, this is a little uh, example of how Luke's and Matthew's differ. Luke does not include the third petition. Matthew's does, you, but you know it by heart. Lord, your will be done. See, that's a passive it doesn't explicitly state who's the subject of doing this will of God, but it's a boomerang prayer. This is the third part of God's agenda. Who is supposed to be doing a better job at dialing into God's will? You! In the what's of the Lord's prayer, step three of the what's is, Lord, I need to do a better job of obedience. Sometimes I'm terrible at obedience. I don't think about obeying you. Obeying you is not very sexy and glamorous and glorious. I've got a million failures. I'm much more interested in getting other people to do what I want. Humbling yourself to open up your ears and get your directives from Scripture, first of all, is work, and secondly, it's humbling. Who wants to be humble? One of the things almost everybody hates is being told what to do. We only allow our bosses to tell us what to do, and we grit our teeth, and we're only doing it for the money. We hate being told what to do. When you say the Lord's Prayer, you're asking God for assistance in buffing up your ability to humble yourself under His will. Your will be done by me. In heaven, you get your way all the time. Man, on earth, Lord, people blow you off every doggone day, but I don't want to be one of those. Help me every day to dial in. What, what is your thought for me, your will for me, Lord, of the way you'd like me to act? Okay, those are three hard ones. Getting these out of your mouth when you mean it is hard work. Now it gets to be more fun. Give us today our daily bread. That's the feed me prayer. You and I are all like little birdies chirping in the nest. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And frankly, if God ever withdrew his hand of guidance and control over the climate of this third rock from the sun, I'll tell you, we'd either burn up or freeze to death or die. All the water would evaporate. Uh, if, if gravity didn't hold us to the surface and somehow 
you know, when you, when you, when you're whipping a rock around your head tied to a string, you whip that around, that's in orbit. There's a string holding that rock from sailing off. What on earth keeps earth at just the right distance from the sun? That invisible force, and you say, well, that's planetational gravity. Where did that come from? What made it just enough to stay in its orbit, in its track, and not get too close, or we'd sizzle, or not drift off, and we would turn into an ice planet and die after we'd burnt up the last of our fossil fuels. Isn't that just amazing? Give us today our daily bread. We are all dependent on the Lord. And the word daily is a little reminder that we can all stand. Jesus said, I want you to think of the Israelites in the desert with their daily food of manna. God always gave them just enough to teach them not to be hoarders and to, to get so invested in wanting all your resources from God up front and early. He said, I will take care of you. Sometimes it comes down to the day today. Now by this, Jesus isn't saying don't ever save or invest money or anything like that. That is complete misuse of this passage. What it is there for, for you is that when you're being worn out and frustrated, God will give you enough resources for each day's struggles and stresses. As a minimum, and sometimes, he will give you much more. But I love this one because it's so easy. Lord, feed me. And, I, and uh, of course, it's invisible twin. Is, and then remember to say thank you. Number five is a twin. It's both an easy one to pray and a really hard one to pray. It's another boomerang petition. Forgive us our sins or our trespasses or our debts. Uh, here again, sorry, we have three variations. Who would not like to pray that? Oh, sorry, Lord, forgive me. That's, I love that one because it's, it's like going through a car wash. No matter what dust and crud is on my car, when I come out, it looks like I got a new car again. I love it. I love my spiritual shower in the morning. Lord, forgive me all my wrongs, and I, I'm beautiful and sparkly again. But then he says, but don't forget to show that same forgiveness to the other fools and sinners around you. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Jesus puts some real edge in that. In fact, after both of his versions of the Lord's Prayer, he gave little stories about uh, withholding forgiveness and, and, and the generosity that the gospel wants to build into us. A generous spirit, uh, and notice the wording Jesus uses to show how this generous spirit is to be expected. Luke says, forgive us our sins, love it, for, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Well, first of all, that, does, that doesn't even sound true because I don't do that. Do you? My record of forgiveness is kind of spotty. I have better moments when I can be generous and, and patient with people. I have crabby and sour moments, and I still have a few old resentments located right here. It's not in my brain, because I can fix my brain, but I can't fix my feelings. And there's some old sour resentments that lurk down here that I have not succeeded in flushing out of my body. 
Am I alone in that, or do you got any of that inside of you? For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is maybe a little ironic. It's an ideal. Jesus is saying that an attitude of generosity and forgiveness are the absolute corollaries of believing that I have first forgiven you. Your forgiving other people is not the cause to make God like you. It's just the reverse. But his unconditional grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness that pours into you every day always translates into generosity of spirit. And Jesus gives the, the ultimate example. We all forgive everyone who sins against us. Matthew's version says, as we forgive. And by that he doesn't mean that, um, that you are going to be throwing away or risking your own forgiveness. That is not based on your performance. But a lack of forgiveness towards other people is a weakness, a soul-destroying, faith-destroying weakness of faith, and you and I must make war on it every day because grudge-holding is a sickness that will metastasize in your heart and brain, and you must fight against it. And Jesus gave some very powerful stories to illustrate that you can read those in Matthew's Gospel. The twin what's at the end lead us not into temptation, Lord. And this doesn't mean that temptation comes from God or testing. Another way of uh, translating is a time of testing, both true what we're asking for is God's help that our tests and trials and temptations will not overwhelm us. Be there with us in our bleak hours and basically give us strength. Keep us, Lord, from these times and deliver us from evil. Here's, or another way of translating it is from the evil one. Remember the threats. In, in this prayer that Jesus built in Matthew has that last phrase, Luke doesn't, and deliver us, save us from the evil one, reminding us that we have a bitter, invisible enemy whose goal is your destruction of soul and body. And ask God's help. He has vast resources at his command. His powerful word still speaks. His creative words are still uttered. His holy angels created at the beginning of time are still on duty and still preventing catastrophe and putting their protection over us. Pray for those angels. Ask them for extra ones, for uh, family members that are vulnerable that you know need help, and God will divert resources to help them out. Deliver us from all evil and what's behind it all, the evil one. And now comes the doxology. It's significant that uh, there are many uh, Greek versions of the Bible that really do include that. Our Bibles don't, and uh, to cut through a one-hour discussion into uh, 20 seconds, the reason I think for that is that this prayer got into the public worship life of the believers so early, probably already in the first century, they all were saying it, and they borrowed language from the synagogues of doxology. Your, the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. And it got added as a liturgical refrain 
And at that time, you know, there was no printing press. The Bible's copies were still being made. And that refrain got to be in such widespread use that the copyists couldn't help putting it in. It was sort of like they were helping it. Well, of course, Jesus would have had the, had the refrain at the end. And it crept in. Uh, and that's about it, the most we can say about it. Whether it actually belongs in Matthew's gospel or not really is almost irrelevant because it's true whether it's in or not. It clearly is drawn from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. And I leave that with you today. After you celebrated the who and we learned the seven whats, uh, now comes the why. Three shouts of praise that you, I hope you never get tired of. Lord, the kingdom is yours. You have the authority and the rule over all these things. The power is yours. There's nothing we've asked for in this prayer of the seven what's that is beyond your ability. We acknowledge your ability to deliver. If you invite us to pray like this, we're going to do it and expect results. And the glory is yours. The only thing that God doesn't have that he's missing is your thanks and praise. And this is a little reminder, don't cheat God out of the glory he deserves. Not the glory radiating from his face, but the glory coming out of your heart and mouth. Lord, the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.